Hello, heathens. I'm Megan Angus, and this is Spinning the Wheel Podcast. In this weekly audio ritual, we explore the eight seasons of the Witch's Wheel of the Year, and we discover how it is so much more than eight Sabbaths. We weirding witches time travel through holy days, festivals, and celestial events connecting our celebrations and magic to the past, present, and future. Our cackling fills the night as we take our turn gathering the wool, wielding the distaff, and spinning the wheel. All right, my friends, we have Beltane season, super full blood flower moon and Scorpio. It's pretty epic. It is lunar week 15. Let's get into it. Okay, first and foremost, if you're like Beltane, what the heck is that? Uh, That is the Sabbath slash Sabbath season that we are currently in. Uh, We being pagans, heathens, witches, polytheists, magicians of various sorts and types. Um, Beltane is the holiday that comes in the second half of the season of spring. And it is really based a lot in fertility, virility, all of that good stuff. If you want to know more about Beltane, go check out my free class on YouTube. Uh, Folks that are subscribed to my Patreon at the $9 and higher level, that's the Venus level and higher, get access to the 20-page, something like that, workbook that goes along with the class with astronomical, astrological references, an eight-week calendar, a lot of the holy days that are in that calendar we talk about in this podcast, Um, rituals, prayers, altar-building recommendations, all that good stuff, and so much more. Uh, Go check that out. Um, But yeah, here we are in Beltane season, and we are wrapping up our time in Taurus. This is really our last few days of being of traveling through Taurus and we are going to move into Gemini, uh, which is the sign that oversees the last four weeks of Beltane and the last four weeks of spring. We'll get into that a little bit more later in the podcast. Um, what else? If you want to, if you want to know more, sign up to my site. Uh, there's a newsletter that I send out irregularly. Um, check in with me for uh, a tarot reading or an astrology reading if you want to find out what this stuff means in your personal life, how you might work with all of this cool information. And um, also, if you want to support this podcast and all of the work that I do, join my Patreon. Thank you so much to my patrons. Um, You can leave a review also on your podcast service, wherever you listen to this. And if you are feeling especially heretical, you can give it a thumbs up or a five-star rating, all the good stuff. Uh, There's links for everything in the description as usual. Let's get into it. Okay, so... Our Beltane season witches work. I know I say this every week, but I like to ground us in the beginning of this audio ritual as I have begun to uh, conceptualize it. Um, I like to ground us in the work that we're doing for the season and then move into the granular stuff. So Beltane season witches work centers on fertility, virility, fecundity, and action. 
And those are words, as we have talked about in the last few weeks and in the class, those are words that can be loaded with lots of gender baggage, but they absolutely do not need to be. These are energies that we see manifested in myriad forms in the natural world. And if we are paying attention, we will see them manifested in myriad forms in our species, humans, as well. Um, these are energies that all humans have access to, and all of us will express in some iteration or another. Uh, the global themes, as we look around at the holy days, the holidays, the festivals, the celebrations that other religions and belief systems are practicing past and present, we see very similar stuff. Surging power, fertility, and exchanging energy with opposing systems, aka sex and death. Um, in this week in particular, we're going to see um, a shift in a little bit of that more into the less sexy, more magic. Um, less of the um, knocking of sacred boots, as we like to say here on the podcast. Uh, the humpery, the hashtag healthy lusty thrusty of it all that we get here in Beltane, because let's be real, a lot of our Beltane symbolism is just straight up schmarking, right? <laughs> and God's bless, right? We love. But, and also, as we move into Gemini season, it becomes a little more abstract, a little more plural, um, a little more diversified and multitudinous and um, magical. We begin to see more and more of an emphasis on the um, the hieros in the hieros gamos, the sacred marriage, Beltane first part during Taurus season, a lot of focus on the marriage. Now we're going to start focusing more on the sacred. Um, and as I record this, uh, I am sending peace and love and power to all of the people of the world fleeing or resisting their warring governments, as well as sending peace and love and power to all of the people of America dealing with the incredible number of mass shootings that we have experienced over this weekend with our very spicy um, moon in Scorpio eclipse and all of that stuff. Okay, let's get into what are we doing with this moon? Okay, May 15th, Sunday, we have our super full blood flower moon in Scorpio at 25 degrees. It will be exact at 9.14 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, obviously later in the night slash the next day for everybody else around the planet. Um, what? That's a lot of words. What does all this stuff mean? Okay, first off, I'm going to assume that you all are very, fairly familiar with what a full moon is. So let's jump to the super part. A super moon is a moon that appears to be a few percentage points brighter and larger than a traditional full moon. Why? Because uh, the moon in its orbit around Earth comes a little closer during part of the year and is a little further away at another part of the year. And when we have a full moon that coincides with that point in the orbit where it is the closest to the Earth, it looks larger in the sky. Just by a few percentage points, it's not massive. Uh, but it is the super moon. When we have a uh, moon, a full moon or a new moon, that is at the furthest point, that's a micro moon. Um, when the super moon happens on a new moon, you can't see it, so nobody really cares. 
Um, when we have the micro on a full moon, it makes the full moon look slightly smaller, but you don't really necessarily notice it. So nobody really cares, but everybody cares about a super full moon because it does look a bit larger than usual. Um, okay. So going on to some of these other words, blood flower moon, what is that? Okay. Uh, why is it a blood moon? Well, because we are also having an eclipse with this full moon. And so when it rises on the horizon for you, wherever you are uh, in the world or in the country, um, it will look red or reddish on the horizon. And this is because of a bunch of stuff in theory, but ultimately it's light bending and refracting uh, and certain rays being able to get to the moon and back faster and slower and all of that stuff. So uh, the moon is not actually turning red. Uh, but it is potential that our um, ancestors were pretty bugged out by this site. <laughs> um, and uh, this is also in part because of uh, the eclipse. Um, as the sun moves across, um, or excuse me, as the Earth's shadow uh, moves across the moon, it is going to block it out ultimately. Um, and uh, some of that process also can make the moon appear to turn red, orangey red, brownish red, or really pretty strongly red. Uh, it's a really cool sight. If the skies are clear where you live, I recommend watching the moon rise tonight um, and or at the very least getting out to watch a bit of the eclipse. Now, um, slash flower moon before we get into the eclipse stuff uh flower moon is one of our moon names for full moons during the month of may um we have flower moon uh pink pink moon even though pink moon was last month too pink moon also for this month um sturgeon moon and a few others really beautiful okay now um do we do magic on eclipses or not the jury is out. So first and foremost, as I said last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, when we had a solar eclipse on the new moon, um, buyer beware, your mileage may vary, slash you have free will. Though last eclipse on that new moon was a moon that I did say, I don't actually really encourage doing any magic, cleansing, prayer, just taking the day off. Um, was a little bit more in alignment with uh, the rest of the astrology that was happening. So what about this moon? Well, a lot of uh, various astrologers and witches have really been excited about this particular full moon, really excited about this particular eclipse. A lot of folks are like, you know, this is the very best moon of the year to do magic with. Eh, I don't know, maybe. Um, personally, I think that has a little bit to do with this, the hype around Scorpio, <laughs> like, oh, Scorpio is so spooky. All right, we get it. Uh, take the jacket off. You know, we, we know we're, we're impressed with your leather jacket. It's super great. Um, let's move on. But <laughs> sorry, Scorpios out there for, you know, who, who've just turned off the podcast. Like, I'll never listen again. Um, but a full moon in Scorpio can bring us a lot of heavy energy. Um, and so an eclipse in Scorpio is going to bring us heavier energy. Now, heavy doesn't mean bad. It means heavy, right? So it, so another word we might use here is intense. Um, Scorpio full moons feel intense. 
Scorpio eclipses also feel intense. That can be intensely erotic, intensely scary, right? <laughs> um, intensely frustrating, intensely exciting, but it tends to ramp up the intensity. So again, do we do magic on this moon or not? Well, again, I'm going to say your mileage may vary. Listen to your free will. If this feels like a moon that is right for you to do magic on, go for it. If this feels like a moon that's like weird and funky, chill out. No big deal. We're going to have another full moon next month and one after that and one after that. So you're going to have plenty of chances to do full moon magic throughout the year. What kind of magic might we do with a full moon in Scorpio? Well, Scorpio is the sign that really addresses sex, death, regeneration. This full moon is sextile to Pluto, um, the planet of investigation, regeneration, death and rebirth, sex, death, all that stuff. But as it's kind of playing out in America, because we kind of have to have that in the back of our minds, America going through its Pluto return, anytime we have something happening up in the sky that is like poking at Pluto, it is bringing in all of that other baggage. And even if you're not in America, what happens in our country does have an effect around the planet because we have military bases everywhere. So if we get fussy about something, everybody's going to be fussy about it. And I don't mean that in a good way. I'm laughing, but I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm laughing so that I don't start crying. Um, so this full moon in and of itself can be a very erotic moon, super duper sexy. Um, it can be a super kinky moon. Yummy. We love that. Um, it could be an incredibly regenerative and healing full moon. Um, it could be a full moon that assists you in a deep plunge into you or another topic that is close to your heart. Um, because Pluto and Scorpio absolutely assist with deep and profound investigation of things and situations. Um, and so, you know, all of that stuff for me, when we have an eclipse, we get two different pieces that come through one, there's a blocking of a light, right? So a light or a celestial guide or a deity or, you know, a resource that we normally would have access to is blocked out. We're cut off temporarily from it. And that can feel destabilizing. Um, that can stir our paranoia. Um, and we may act from that place of defensiveness and freaking out. Conversely, when that resource or light or guide or voice is blocked out, there's all this other stuff that we can see that we normally can't see. And again, sometimes that's really enlightening and sometimes that's destabilizing. Sometimes that's the same thing. Um, so during eclipses, I think about what am I going to have access to that I normally wouldn't have access to slash what might have access to me during this time period that normally wouldn't have access to me because this other larger thing would usually be in the way. Um, that stuff, right? That's the kind of stuff that I'm thinking about with this moon and Scorpio and the eclipse and all of that. Um, 
you know, again, this is a really great moon to just be out in nature, witness the shift of the season, um, clean and reset your altar. If you feel like doing something like that, um, dedicate a tool to a job, um, making babies of all kinds, human babies, as well as, um, you know, uh, uh, any other project that you wanted to kick off could be great, but, um, but also, um, given the national conversation that we are having right now around making babies and not making babies, this eclipse could also be really profound in, um, bringing in some magical work to our political goals around that stuff. Um, and being more intense, around our right to bodily autonomy, um, our right to uh, abortions, our right to uh, physical safety and not being subjected to violence daily. Uh, and, 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 right? We got a lot of stuff going on here in America. So this might also be an eclipse where we are emptying out and letting go of a lot of that funky stuff that Pluto and Scorpio can represent in our world. Violence, abuse, plutocratic uh, power structures, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, when we're dealing with the full moon, it's a fruit. So there is something ripening. There is something coming to fruition now. In my opinion, it is the results of uh, inaction on the part of our government on a lot of really important stuff. I think the, the fruits of of those behaviors are, are coming to bear at this time, not necessarily really to... Uh, anybody's benefit. Um, yeah. Okay. With our lunar body work with the moon in Scorpio, we are awakening, activating, adorning, stimulating, preparing for action, uh, the organs and the processes of pleasure, reproduction, and waste management, AKA sex and death. And as I say every week, not a doctor of the physical body, a doctor of the cosmos. Uh, don't listen to me for medical advice. I don't know what I'm talking about. Just some lady yelling on the internet. Please uh, get with your trusted health advisor if you are wanting to integrate any of the um, lunar body work into your uh, healthcare routines. For our plant body work, while the moon is hanging out in Scorpio, we are planting, transplanting, or grafting annual flowers and fruits and veg that are going to bear crops above ground, like watermelon, zucchini, corn, tomatoes, beans, all of that good stuff, etc., etc. Okay. Um, what are our holy days for this day? Shall we get into it? I think we should. Okie dokie. From our German friends and ancestors, we have the festival of Cold Sophie. Uh, this is a continuation of other ice saints festivals that we see past and present in Europe. Um, uh, Sophie is not specifically a saint, but it is very much in, in the spirit of those other holidays and festivals. Basically, this is an acknowledgement of that last burst of cold that we get at some point in spring during the in the Northern Hemisphere uh, before the summertime really, really, really kicks in. Um, so it's sort of an, a last acknowledgement of those icy, frosty, uh, death um, 
and underworld ancestors and entities uh, and deities that we are working with all through winter season that we say goodbye to at spring as we move through the overground journey of the solar half of the year. Um, and so this is sort of an acknowledgement of that tradition as well. Uh, from our Catholic friends and ancestors, we have the Feast of Isidro. Isidor the Farmer Laborer, also known as Isidor the Farmer, uh, was a Spanish farm worker known for his piety toward the poor and animals. Uh, patron saint of farmers, the Spanish profession name Labrador comes from the verb labrar, to till or to plow, or in a broader sense, to work the land. And of course, that is certainly a major theme here at Beltane Season as we wake up the land and begin planting things um, to sprout, right? Through our growth season that we're going to have here in the Northern Hemisphere. Also on this day from our Buddhist friends and ancestors in China and a bunch of other places in the Asian world, we have Vesak or the birth of Buddha. We've had several births of Buddha <laughs> starting in, I think we had a couple in April. Uh, or excuse me, I think we had a couple in March. We definitely had a few in April. We're going to have more here in May. I think we may have some in June as well. Um, but all through this portion of the year, aka spring, various nations and uh, cultures within the massive world that is Asia are celebrating the birth and the enlightenment of Buddha. I believe this might be the day that's recognized by the UN as well. Okay. From our Yoruba friends and ancestors, we have the Feast of Orisha Oka. The um, Orisha Oko, the god of agriculture, is represented by an ox-drawn plow, connecting us to Taurus symbolism, with a parasol in its rear section to protect the farmer. Don't we love that? Um, there's more to it, but that's all we're going to talk about with, <laughs> with this particular Orisha. Um, from our Roman friends and ancestors, we have Mercuralia, and we also have uh, Maya and Mercury Day. So for Mercuralia specifically, and this would be the um, 15th day of May, aka the 15th day of the lunar month, coinciding with what we think of as May, which is here, the full moon, um, merchants would sprinkle their heads, their ships, and their merchandise and their businesses with water taken from the well at Porta Capena. Um, I tried to do a little bit of research around this well and figure out why it was that this one was so important. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm sure that information is out there. But here is a really overt uh, festival connecting Mercury to merchants and sailing and uh, sea folk, people who were working waterways as well as the waterways itself, but also commerce and all of that stuff, all falling under the auspices of uh, Mercury slash Hermes slash the sign of Gemini, which we are about to enter. Uh, Maya and Mercury Day were also from our Roman friends and ancestors. Uh, Maya was one of the Pleiades and is the mother of Mercury or Hermes. Um, and so this was a day dedicated to the two of them. All right, let's move on to May 16th. All righty, uh, May 16th, Monday. The moon enters Sagittarius. And I personally think that the Vibatrons from this mega moon in Scorpio 
are going to kind of kind of wash out at least the first few hours, if not even maybe the first day of the moon being in Sagittarius. It's going to be like, yeah, it's kind of in Sagittarius, but it's still spooky. Um, <laughs> so what you may find is all of that stuff that gets brought up for you or that you decide to wrangle with during the moon hanging out in Scorpio um, may start to take on a bit of a philosophical bend. You may start to feel a little more philosophical about the stuff that you're thinking about versus it being very like cut and dried or very like, you know, it's, it's either in the flesh or I don't want to hear about, you know, like the Sagittarius may be like, Oh wait, I can distance myself from this a little bit. I can think about it in the abstract a little bit. Um, you know, what, what do I think about this from a philosophical bend that, that sort of stuff. Um, but also as the moon moves into Sagittarius, you may be invited or, um, you may find yourself in, uh, conversations with people who hold radically opposing viewpoints from you, who are like fully on the opposite side of the spectrum from where you are at in a political view or a philosophical view. And talk with those people, converse, exchange ideas, try not to get into an argument, try not to get into a debate. Um, Mostly just because at, at, to, on this particular day, it won't necessarily be super effective. Um, but listen to them. Listen to them. You don't have to agree with them at all, but listen to them. And then later, when you are alone, think about the stuff that this person said that you totally disagree with. And try to think about how it is that a person arrives at seeing the world that way. Again, we're not necessarily trying to find common ground with this person. We're not trying to, you know, find a way to like bridge or any of that stuff necessarily. But we might be working on a little tiny, tiny bit of empathy for these people slash just a deeper philosophical understanding of, of ideology, how it works and how people have arrived in their lives at the beliefs that they hold so dearly. Like, how did this person end up here? That thing. Not that we need to go down that same road, but it might behoove us later on to understand why it is that a person thinks the way that they do and how they have arrived at the viewpoint and the worldview that they have. Okay. While the moon is hanging out in Sagittarius for our lunar body, our moon is now waning the full moon has officially passed. So our moon is going to be getting smaller and smaller for the next two weeks. So we in turn for our lunar body work are going to be resting, relaxing, nourishing, supporting, or otherwise restoring the lower back, the sciatic nerve family, and the thighs. Um, again, doing what is safe and right for you and your healthcare regimen and, you know, not just going off. Um, <laughs> and as I always say, like, if the physical work doesn't work for you, does the metaphor work for you? So is some, do you feel like you're carrying something on your back that you need to get off your back? Um, are you, you know, are your nerves shot, right? <laughs> is somebody have the nerve to come and talk with you about something and disturb you? Um, you know, are you enjoying the thickness and the lusciousness of your thighs, whether that be physically or esoterically, uh, that stuff, right? We can always work with the metaphor. We do not have to always work with it just in the physical body, but it's, I think, interesting to think about 
the work we're doing in the physical world, the work we're doing in the magical world, the work that is suggested in the body, all of that, seeing those layers, to me, it's really interesting. Okay. With this waning moon in Sagittarius, for our plant body work, we are harvesting, we're doing pest controls, disease control, plowing, weeding, aerating the soil, and pruning our plants to encourage below ground growth. So if you have transplanted something recently and you are, this would be a time to um, do whatever you need to do to that plant to encourage the roots to really dig into the soil and establish itself in that, in that new transplanted situation. Okay. We have no astrology of note for this day. So let's just move directly into the holy days for May 16th, which we have only two. Um, one, we have the heliacal rising of the fixed star Algol. Now, this is um, a star that is in Medusa's head, and it is carried in the left hand of Perseus. The name of Algol comes from an Arabic word meaning the head of the ogre. The English translation became demon star, with other names being Satan's head or the specter's head. However, in Chinese, it belongs to a group of stars called the mausoleum. Now, we talked about another star that is featured in, um, I mean, it's, it's considered to be in the constellation of Perseus, but it's kind of the constellation of Medusa too, right? Just like this archetype is here. This goddess is here. Um, and again, if, if you don't remember, or if you didn't listen to last week's uh, podcast, one of the things that I really pointed out was um, the power of Medusa and the way that Medusa's image has changed over time. Because Medusa and other Gorgons first off, as I mentioned last time, look very similar to a lot of the depictions of Kali. I think that that's very interesting and a very potent connection, especially here on our Scorpio moon. Um, our Scorpio new moon every year is the Kali Durga. Um, so it is, or excuse me, the Kali, Kali Yuga. Um, no, <laughs> it's not Kali Durga and it's also not Kali Yuga. It's, <laughs> uh, it's the Kali Jayanti. Um, it's the festival for Kali, but it's a part of a larger festival celebrating a lot of the goddesses uh, in fall. And um, this star um, connects us again to this character of Medusa. And like I said, in the early days, Medusa and other Gorgons were depicted as uh, basically non-gendered beings. They were very androgynous. And then over time, Medusa became a woman. Why is that important? Well, a lot of folks, as we talked about last week, a lot of folks point to just that, you know, that's the patriarchy slowly encroaching on uh, matrilineal societies and goddess worshiping societies and slowly turning every woman and every goddess into the bad guy. Yes, but and also, Perseus, to be a hero, must have a monster to best. And that is also an extremely important element in patriarchy, in the kyriarchy, and certainly the things that we are happening in this world today. For this young man, Perseus, 
uh, to be a hero, there had to be a monster out there in the world for him to go kill. And so, conveniently, uh, society provides him with Medusa, a victim of abuse. Um, so, lots of spicy stuff when we're dealing with the stars that are in Perseus, a.k.a. Medusa. <laughs> lots of stuff. Side note to all of that, I think it's very interesting that for the Chinese, this belongs to a group of stars called the Mausoleum because we have a lot of ancestor death work at this time of year throughout the month of May. We have these festivals dedicated to the Lares and the Manes and these other Roman um, ancestral holidays that are basically intended to soothe the minds and the spirits of the restless dead that are like roaming around <laughs> haunting us from the past. Um, gosh, I wonder what it was. Could it be, I don't know, betrayal or <laughs> like totally having your entire reputation, uh, you know, turned into something for some Chad to like prove himself on. I don't know. I don't know why they're so restless. Weird. Uh, okay. That's our holy days for May 16th. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yeah, we probably should. All right. May 17th is a Tuesday and our waning moon is still hanging out in Sagittarius. So we are still uh, buttering up our thighs and pruning our plants and all of that good stuff. Okay. Um, in astrology, we have Mars conjunct Neptune and Pisces at 25 degrees today. Um, you know, as we talked about before, Mars is not like extremely excited to be hanging out in Pisces. Uh, it wants it to be steamy. Mostly it's swampy. Neptune is very thrilled to be hanging out in Pisces. This is Neptune's home sign. And so in this conjunction, Mars is making the conjunction. Mars is the faster moving planet. So Mars is coming up to Neptune to hang out for a moment before it continues on. Um, but Neptune is going to have a little bit more influence here. So what I would say about this conjunction is just be careful, slow down a little bit. Um, we also have the sun uh, squaring Saturn this week. And so there already is a sense of like slowing down and a little bit of funkiness with that. But this is a day where I would say, um, give yourself a little opportunity to daydream, give yourself a little opportunity to like float around and be a little goofy about things. Try not to rush too much from place to place. Um, if you find yourself getting super impatient, you can always put yourself in timeout as we love to say on the podcast. Um, but generally speaking, Mars conjunct Neptune, I feel, can be uh, a little bit frustrating if you're in a mood to go, go, go. Um, if you are in a mood to, like, float around and just kind of, you know, deal with whatever happens to come up and just kind of hang out in the moment, I think Neptune conjunct, Nep excuse me, Mars conjunct Neptune can be a really cute day of, like, going after your dreams and thinking about like what dreamy things would you like to fire up your passions for and all of that stuff could be a really sexy day. Um, could be a fun day for, for combining those types of, um, you know, erotic energies from Mars plus the very transcendent energies that Neptune can bring in. Um, yeah. Could just be a day where you're like, I want a daydream and also I need to hurry up. <laughs> so you know, sit with yourself, just hang out. It's all good. Okay. Uh, our holy days for this day, we only have two from our global friends and ancestors. We have day against homo trans and biphobia. 
Um, this coordinates events that raise awareness of LGBT rights violations and stimulate interest in LGBT rights work worldwide. Last year, the commemorations uh, took place in over 130 countries across the globe, and this date was chosen to commemorate the decision to remove homosexuality from the International Classification of Diseases of the World Health Organization in 1990. What the fuck? Like, come on, you guys. What is wrong with you? <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. Okay. From our Moroccan friends and ancestors, we have <laughs> Mutin Le Arden. Uh, this is believed to be the first day of summer in Morocco. And the word Mutin Le Arden means death of the earth or death to earth, which Kind of sounds a little heavy on the surface, right? Various rituals performed on this day by different tribes are designed to ward off evil and danger. For example, it is believed that rising at dawn and taking a bath will strengthen the body. Um, and there is a taboo against sleeping, which is believed to result in a loss of courage. A special dish made from barley, fresh milk or buttermilk, and the root of a plant called bizifur is prepared and eaten on this day in the belief that it will make the people strong and ward off evil. In some areas, it is believed that a husband's affections will waver on this day. And so we have a lot of Beltane stuff in this, right? First off, we have the death of Earth, aka sort of the opening up or the cleaving of Earth, right? Um, the turning over of Earth. And uh, this um, uh, various rituals performed to ward off evil and danger. Well, we have that dialed in with the Scorpio moon, that this is a great moon for doing protection work and all that stuff. Uh, more so even as we get further into the week with our Capricorn moon. Um, but this idea that husband's affections will waver on this day. Now, Beltane in and of itself is this sacred marriage moment. But the month of May, as we've talked about in the last few weeks, carries this um, ominousness for committed partnerships. And here is one of those really important distinctions. The partnerships or the marriages that are formed on Beltane and in sort of the heart of the season of Beltane are meant to be one night stands, basically. They are for the moment. They are for the erotic pleasure. Um, they are for, uh, you know, the spark of desire, waking the body back up after the death of, of winter, etc., etc. They are not necessarily meant to be commitments. And I think that's a really interesting distinction. And we see that reiterated in these various holidays around the world, past and present. As we move into June and we get closer and closer to the summer solstice, then all of a sudden we will see these holidays switch back into sacred marriage time, bonding time, commitment time, partnership time, all of that stuff. Uh, but right now there's almost this moment of like, no, there's still work to do before we really get into that high part of the season and commit to whoever it is that we're going to be with. I don't think that this necessarily means that like, if you hooked up with someone on Beltane, magically, you can't be with that person. But I think it also implies like, don't rush into things, give it a month, 
give it six weeks, wait, you know, hang out, see how things play out. Things might be exciting May 1st. Let's see how they're doing June 12th. You know, <laughs> you know, that thing. Uh, I love that. I love that from the ancient world. It's so, it's so good. Okay. Um, let's move on to May 18th. May 18th is a Wednesday uh, and our waning moon <laughs> enters Capricorn. Um, okay, so I'm going to get into the astrology of this on May 19th, because that's when we actually hit uh, the disseminating moon. We're still kind of under the auspices of the full moon, even here with our waning moon in Capricorn. But um, for our lunar body work, we can start talking about that. We are relaxing, resting, nourishing, supporting, or otherwise restoring our bones, our hair, our teeth, our nails. Yes, the mani-pedi is a holy act. Yes, the super deep moisturizer treatment that you want to do on your hair is a holy act. Uh, you heard it here first. Probably not, but you know. Um, <laughs> so, and again, you know, if we don't want to work with the body physically, can we work with the metaphor? So do you need to get in and repair the bones of something, right? Um, are you in a hairy situation that needs to be addressed? All right, I'll stop. But <laughs> does your application to that job need teeth? All right. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, for our plant body work, we are maintaining or breaking down old containers, old borders, old fences, old gardening beds, old structures. Again, you know, if you are only uh, living in an apartment and you've just got your plants inside, uh, do you have a pot that's breaking that needs to be replaced? Do you have a plant stand that's starting to fall apart that needs to be replaced? This is the time to tear that thing apart. It might be that you end up with a pile of resources that can be used to build something later. But um, Capricorn really speaks to the structures of things. And so this is a time to look at the various structures, trellises, gardening beds, fences, all that stuff in your outdoor world, if you're lucky enough to have outdoor space or your plants, maybe they're on your windowsill or whatever, and just check the structures and see if something needs maintenance or if it needs to be taken down, taken apart destroyed to make room for something new to grow later on. Okay. Uh, again, no astrology of note on this day. So let us move directly onto the holy days. Shall we? Yes. Okay. All right. We have a pile of holy days here on May 18th, starting off with from our Jewish slash Kabbalistic friends and ancestors running from May 18th to May 19th, we have Lag Omar. Um, this is uh, the 33rd day of the counting of the Omer, which occurs on the 18th day of the Hebrew month of Ayar. And again, when we're talking about that 18th day of the month, we mean the lunar month. That's part of why we are doing this whole podcast based on our lunar weeks, um, because so many civilizations past and present count their time through the patterns of the moon. Also syncing up with the sun from time to time, <laughs> you know, just keep it spicy. According to Kabbalistic tradition, this day marks the celebration interpreted by some as the anniversary of the death of uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Rabshi, or excuse me, the Rashbi, a messianic sage 
and leading disciple of Rabbi Akiva in the second century, and the day on which he revealed the deepest secrets of the Kabbalah in the form of the Zohar, which is the Book of Splendor, which literally means radiance. This is a landmark text of Jewish mysticism and is pretty much found on the shelf of every Kabbalistic magician out there. Uh, this association has spawned several well-known customs and practices on Lag Baomar, including the lighting of bonfires, pilgrimages um, to the tomb of Bar Yochai in the northern Israel town of Meron, and various customs at the tomb itself. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, we have the, the death of this rabbi, but uh, possibly even more importantly, I don't necessarily think I have the authority to say if it's more important, <laughs> but also and, um, we have the revelation of this incredibly magical book that is the basis for um, a really, really spicy and potent and popular magical tradition that is still practiced today. Okay. From our Vodun friends and ancestors, we have the feeding of Grande Alumandia. This is a day of great reverence for Grandmother Alumandia, also referenced as Saint Soleil, uh, Haiti, and Great Saint Anne. Um, this does correlate to Grandmother Anne, aka the mother of Mary, Jesus's grandmother. Uh, feeding Grandmother Alumandia is another way Haitians are able to demonstrate respect and honor for their ancestors by making delicious traditional foods and celebrating with their family and community. So here we have yet again another festival in the heart of all of this life and sex and fertility and virility imagery in Beltane, another holiday dedicated to death and to ancestors. Also on this day from our pagan friends and ancestors, we have the Feast of Pan. This is another holiday that we get uh, showing up in the last 20 years or so in our Wheel of the Year calendars that have been invented and um, worked on in various places on the internet. Um, so this is a static day here in the midst of May, the midst of horny season, the midst of, you know, hashtag knocking of sacred boots for Pan, the randiest of the goats. <laughs> we love pan also on this day from our yoruba friends and ancestors we have the feast of the divine twins i have a huge piece on my site uh that can be found through the wheel of the year beltane link uh in the menu on not just the yoruba divine twins but all of the places where we see uh, divine twins showing up in various myths and belief systems and philosophical practices around the planet. Um, Ebeje, uh, I believe, are their name uh, for the Yoruba twins, and they carry a ton of elements in their myth that we also find in the sacred twins of the Maya, the sacred twins of Norse people, and on and on and on. It's pretty incredible. It also is kicking off wait for it. Oh, that's right. Gemini season, the sign of what was it again? Oh, yeah, the twins. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. But before that, how about an ad? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, if you love this podcast, you can support this work through Patreon. 
thank you a bajillion billion times. See, the, the sirens are going off even as I say it. Um, thank you so, so much to my patrons. Um, you guys don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. Thank you so much. Uh, you can sub for as little as a dollar if you just think this podcast is dope and you want to support it. Uh, I don't run ads on the podcast um, partly because I don't want to and partly because I won't get paid even if I do. Uh, so screw them, man. Um, you can sub, as I said, for as little as a buck or $5 even if you want to just support the podcast. And this is plenty of information. But if you want even more information, um, you know, extra podcasts, extra videos, extra information about the Wheel of the Year, magical practices, tarot, etc., etc., uh, subbing at the higher levels, you get all kinds of cool free stuff. And at the even higher levels, uh, you get free readings every month with me um, to be able to integrate all of this information into your personal life based on what's going on in your natal chart and all of that other good stuff. Join and change your life forever or, you know, whatever. Thanks so much for the support. If you can't support financially, I completely understand because life sucks on earth right now. It's too expensive for everything. Um, tell a friend, share it on social media, uh, give it a thumbs up. If you're feeling especially hedonistic, you can leave a rating or a review. All right. That's the end of the ad. Let's get back to the podcast. May 19th is a Thursday. And here is where we find our disseminating moon in Capricorn at 2.41 a.m. Pacific Standard Time later in the night slash the next day for everybody else around the planet. Uh, this is at 13 degrees of Capricorn. This disseminating moon in Capricorn brings up some tough work for us. So let's just get that out of the way. It's Capricorn, right? So oftentimes it's not necessarily going to be, you know, a, a frolic in the park. Um, but what is it that, that, that we are being encouraged to look at and wrangle with under this moon. Well, Raven Caldera in their book, Moon Phase Astrology, which we talk about a lot on the podcast, love it, great book, um, suggests that this moon is about sitting with yourself and asking yourself slash examining um, slash doing hard work to provide and protect your people. Okay. So that's pretty straightforward, right? Is there something tough that needs to be done? That's going to be, that's going to make life easier and safer for your people. Okay. Fairly straightforward. However, of course, we can't just leave it alone at that. The deeper question is who are your people who deserve that work from you? And how do you make that determination? Right? What, potentially funky stuff goes into you saying to yourself, I don't have to include this person. That person is going to be too much of a tap on my resources. It's funky stuff, right? I think that this work can be really hard, but necessary when we are thinking about individuals in our lives that are draining us and not supporting us and tapping our resources. But, and, 
because I'm your leftist witch, I'm also going to say that this is a great time to think about those resources in your life and how these larger systems are tapping them and how they don't deserve your energy and your time and your money and all that other stuff. So that thing, right? Um, how is it that you have come to decide that you need that magazine subscription <laughs> um, or whatever it is? Um, but also on this moon, we are taking time to think about who we associate with, right? So an extension of that conversation of who are my people, who are the people that I align myself with, who are the groups, who are my friend groups that I align myself with, and how do they look on me? Um, how do they make me look? You know, it, I, I, when I, when I think about this, what I think about is a person who maybe considers themselves to be a Christian, right? And they have that spirituality, they have that practice, maybe they were raised in it even, who knows? And yet, while they have their own personal experiences and interpretation of what that word might mean and their own relationship with that God and all of that stuff, they also are looking around at, you know, the really small portion of Christians who are fanatical, who get, you know, all the TV time, right? People like, uh, you know, we don't have to say it, but anyways, they don't deserve their names being said, but groups out there that are really making it tough to be a Christian, right? Um, it, it, that's who, that's the thing I think about. Right. And that, that situation can happen to any of us. We don't have to be Christians or atheists or whatever. We can be, you know, people that are aligned with a group. And then we're looking at the group and being like, man, I, I don't know if I want to be aligned with you guys. Like I tell people I'm Christian and they go, Ugh, because of this small group who can't act right, you know, um, who are just making it terrible for everybody, Christians and, and everybody else for that matter. So, who do you align with and how does that look on you? Um, you know, again, it's, it's it, Capricorn moons often bring us kind of funky work. So also this is a great moon for doing any kind of protection work. And because it is a waning moon focusing on eradicating problems, um, pushing things out, blocking, ending that kind of protection work where you're like, you can't come in. I'm not building a wall. I'm reducing entrance. <laughs> um, that kind of uh, inner dialogue for yourself. Um, and also any work that is uncomfortable, but makes people and environments safer. And that is also a real fine line to walk right now uh, in our country as a, as a, just a real conversation to have with ourselves, you know, that whole, like when you're sacrificing uh, your liberty for safety, you lose both or whatever, all that, you know, uh, those types of catchphrases are lovely, but ultimately it comes down to a lot of rhetoric when you're, you know, when you don't want to be shot at a, a nightclub. Right. <laughs> and so what it makes me think about is like after the pulse, uh, terrorist shooting that happened, uh, that, that hate crime that happened in Florida, the Pulse nightclub a few years ago, how one of my favorite dance clubs here in Seattle, almost overnight, had this radically new fancy tech system for security and they had cameras and they were scanning everybody's IDs and they were and I was like, whoa, man, and my immediate feeling was like, my God, this is like a really invasive moment here. 
And then the moment, the more I started to think about it, I was like, this place has always had security cameras. And if I'm paying with my debit card at the bar, there's a trace that I was here. I'm not giving them really any more information than I already was. The new form of it freaks me out a little bit. And I would rather that we don't have to have this at all. But in this moment, this switch does make us some level safer in theory. Um, you know, putting on a mask and wearing it at the store, even though the mask mandates have ended. Uncomfortable decisions that make my people and my environment safer. That stuff. Um, it's that's, that's what this Capricorn moon wants from us, is to kind of dig in on that and think about it. We have the sun in Taurus trine Pluto in Capricorn on the same day. So again, all of those America issues and all of those issues around the self are here. Um, this moon is uh, square Chiron, uh, who is conjunct Venus on this day in Aries. And so that whole portion around friend groups and who am I aligned with and how does that look on me, that might feel really funky. There might be a lot of like hurt feelings around that stuff. You might be thinking about the wounds that you experienced in the world that brought you to this group of friends. You might be thinking about the wounds that you have experienced personally within this group of friends. It could come up in a lot of different ways. Of course, you can always take a time out. You can always breathe. You can always just paint your nails uh, <laughs> and do a nice, you know, moisturizing mask on your hair and just call it good. That's also totally legit. Um, but if you have the capacity to wrangle with this stuff, do so. Because um, we kind of have to at some point, no matter what. You know what I mean? Okay. Our holy day for this day uh, from our global friends and ancestors is a gender pride day. To be a gender means to not identify as any particular gender. A gender, also known as gender blank, gender free, gender less, gender void, non-gendered, ungendered, or null gender. The agender identity falls under the non-binary umbrella and sometimes the transgender umbrella. Let's move on to May 20th. May 20th, it's a Friday. Let us blaze a trail directly into this weekend. Okay. Uh, we are going to be doing it under the auspices of a waning moon entering Aquarius. And the work that this moon is encouraging for us is to seek hope. And if we are having a hard time doing that, starting with our community. And I think that this is a really beautiful um, balance to the work from the day before, the two days before, as the moon was moving through Capricorn and kind of making us question, why do I hang out with these people? And is this worth my time? And burp, burp, burp. Coming into this waning moon in Aquarius, it's like, yes, these are my people. And hopefully these are people that inspire hope in you, inspire you to think about the future and what good could still be coming down the pipe. Um, you know, again, referring back to the moon phase astrology by Raven Caldera, one of the questions that they ask uh, in this moon is, can you turn to your community for hope? Do you know anyone that instills hope in you? And if you don't, 
what does that say about the choices that you're making about the people that you're aligning with? Why wouldn't you want to have somebody around you that gives you hope for the future? That's a legitimate question. Like why you, I mean, you may have like a really good answer to that, or at least a really intense answer to that, but seek hope. Um, <laughs> slash, I don't know if you looked outside lately, but it's kind of funky. Uh, and so this would just be like a nice, uh, muscle strengthening exercise. Like let's exercise the hope muscle today. <laughs> um, you know, and again, seeking out our friends, our family members, our community members who can muster uh, a positive image of the future for us and help us find that hope in ourselves and hope in our community. And moreover, you know, really, it is about finding hope in each other. I was um, reading something from, uh, I believe it was the NAP ministry on the internet <laughs> that posted this the other day. But they were talking about um, how mutual aid, excuse me, how self-care is not a solo act, and it cannot be a solo act. It must include our community. Our self-care is embedded in caring for each other and allowing other people to care for us. And I think that that sometimes can be the biggest reason why we don't allow people into our lives that will stir hope, that will stir faith, because that is allowing people to come into our lives and maybe do something that we are having a hard time doing for ourselves, which is having some hope, having some faith, right? No, I'm trying to stay alienated and freaked out. Do you mind? <laughs> I'm trying to stay paranoid and defensive. Do you mind? And our hopeful friend is like, yes, I do mind. Here, <laughs> stay with me in this moment right now. Let's talk about the cool shit that's happening and can happen and can still happen. Um, and I feel that uh, engaging in mutual aid can be one of the deepest ways of reminding ourselves there is still a chance there is still power in the people. There is still a later today. There is still a tomorrow. Um, there's still hope. I have faith. There's still hope. Um, because it really helps us see where we are connected. And oftentimes that's in our needs and in our issues. We're super connected. We are not actually alienated from each other. Um, we are, for the most part, all in the same boat here. So remembering, um, remembering to connect with your people. That's your homework for this weekend that kicks off on May 20th. Uh, for our lunar body, while the moon is hanging out in Aquarius, we are resting, relaxing, nourishing, supporting, or otherwise restoring the legs, especially the knees and the ankles. And for our plant body work, we are harvesting, doing pest control, disease control, plowing, weeding, and aerating the soil uh, to support below ground growth. Now, what do we have going on in this day in astrology? Just a little old thing called the sun entering Gemini. Yes, uh, terrible um, horn noises aside, Gemini sun can be a lovely time for lots of people. Um, what happens for us? Well, the sun, again, our sense of self. And so our sense of self begins to move into really feeling a need to communicate with and learn from other people. We want to talk to people. We want to listen to people. We want to exchange ideas. Um, 
And with the sun in Gemini, we might find ourselves moving from a much more mental or intellectual place. Um, we might want to learn lots of stuff and take in as much information as possible. We might find ourselves being more inquisitive, um, more logic oriented in our approach to the world. Um, we might be, as I said before, a little bit more communicative with people um, and willing to talk about our inner process or willing to say what's on our mind a little bit more easily. Um, we might find ourselves to be a little more adaptable in situations, a little more flexible, uh, a little more inventive and, um, uh, and versatile. Now, it's not all sweetness and light. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever known a Gemini, um, but uh, the several hundred of them that live in their minds, so most of them are nice, but occasionally there's a crackpot in there. <laughs> And so if we are, you know, moving through Gemini season and we're having a bad time, if we're having a funky time, if we're having a day off, <laughs> uh, we might find ourselves feeling really or acting really superficial, um, really spacey, where our intellectual thing has kind of just gone off the rails and just floated out into space. Uh, we might become overly abstract, um, overly intellectualizing. Um, our communicative and talkative and articulate energies may start to morph into being gossipy or being nosy um, or just, you know, loquacious, like it far too many words <laughs> to get the point across. Um, and our adaptableness and our flexibleness and our versatility may start to drift into the zone of uh, being inconsistent or being really scattered or really feeling super high strung or fickle or impatient or flighty. So, um, you know, altogether, Gemini brings a, a lightness to the situation in general. Gemini's ruling planet is Mercury. Mercury is currently in retrograde as the sun enters Gemini. So it might be a moment of examining our tendencies around all of this stuff, talking, listening, communicating, taking in information, considering ideas, um, you know, being versatile versus being scattered. Um, and it might be a moment of sort of reviewing how we want to engage that energy before we really begin to engage it. The sun is going to be in Gemini from May 20th to June 20th. And Mercury is retrograde from May 10th through June 3rd. So Mercury will station direct and move into Gemini. Um, so move into Gemini, like the 10th of Gemini, I think I'm, or 10th of June. I might be wrong about that, but uh, we will have the sun in Gemini and Mercury moving direct at the same time. That will, that will happen. Um, but yeah, that's what we pretty much have coming for us as the sun enters Gemini. Um, let's now take a look at the holy days of May 20th, of which there are several. All right, kicking off our many several holy days that we have for May 20th, we have the heliacal rising of the fixed star Alcyone. Um, this is the brightest star in the Pleiades cluster, uh, which is in the shoulder of the bull, Taurus constellation. Um, the Pleiades, or the Seven Sisters, are located in the shoulder of the bull. I just said that, sorry. <laughs> uh, the traditional name, um, Alcyone, 
comes from the mythical daughter of Atlas, Alcyone. Uh, she is the central one or the hen of the Pleiades sisters who were seduced or who was seduced by Poseidon. God of the sea, we just had a festival to Poseidon, and we know that Mercury um, is doing lots of uh, water stuff at this time as well. Uh, the image for this fixed star is often a little virgin or a lamp. It strengthens eyesight, it assembles spirits, and raises winds, and reveals secret and hidden things. Now, why I think that that's interesting, um, that last line there is for folks who do magic with fixed stars, um, is because, of course, we have the Les Kubul's panorama, um, which shows the Pleiades constellation accurately represented in its relative position in the sky over the bull's shoulder, Taurus. And, you know, this panorama was painted around 17,000 years ago and it was hidden in a cave until what, 1990 or something like that. Um, so I love that. But uh, this all kind of speaks to Mercury stuff and Gemini stuff for me. Um, assembling spirits, Hermes Mercury is absolutely a magician. Um, raising winds, hello, air sign. Um, all of that stuff. I don't know, it's cool shit. Okay, uh, as we said already, the sun enters Gemini, the twins on this day. Go and read that piece on my website on the divine twins, may myself and I. <laughs> also happening on this day from our Slavic friends and ancestors, from May 20th to May 30th, we have the Festival of Grudy Rozno. Uh, during these 10 days, Volvas, who are magicians, soothsayers, sorceresses, etc., bring sacrifices to the god Rod for rain and for good productive harvests. But that's not all. Um, during this festival, uh, there is also a big worshiping of these magical folk in community and uh, dedication or rededication ceremonies for these magicians and soothsayers, sorceresses, witches, pagans, what have you, uh, magic workers um, for their magical tools. So they will take them out, they'll bless them, they'll cleanse them, and they'll rededicate them to the magical work that they do with that tool. Pretty potent stuff. From May 20th to May 21st, from our Vodun friends and ancestors, we have the Feast of Simbi Blanc. The Simbi are a collection of Loa who are serpents of many colors. Today is a feast for the white Simbi. All are connected to water, healing, and magic. All can move between the worlds and are communicators between the gods and mortals. That's literally a description of Hermes slash Mercury. Pretty freaking cool. Okay. <laughs> From, uh, and I expect that the Greek influence, uh, or the, the, the Greek is influenced by the Yoruba African tradition, not the other way around. Um, Vodon, of course, being an extension of the um, Yoruba tradition as a diaspora religion itself. From our Norse friends and ancestors, we have Frigablot. Okay, so for all of our Norse folk, past and present, anytime we have the word blot, B-L-O-T, involved in a holiday, that is intended to infer blood. 
Uh, so yes, this may have been a type of blood sacrifice, but it is also a word that has come to be known as just a festival, a ritual moment. Like not just a hangout dinner, but like a fancy moment of magic and whatnot. So Frigga uh, ended up being blurred with the goddess Freya, but they are separate goddesses. Uh, Frigga is a personification of the civilized world's atmosphere and clouds. She also oversees foresight and wisdom, and she dwells in the wetland halls of Fenselir. She's possibly also has something to do with love and fertility, but that usually comes under the auspices of the goddess Freya. Frigga is the principal wife of Odin and the mother of Tyr, Baldur, and Hermod. Um, she is depicted as either snow white or in super dark, basically black clothing. Um, she has hair on plumes in her headdress and she wears keys on her belt. And that key symbolism is absolutely something that we see with goddesses who practice magic and oversee magical practices. Um, her, you know, connection to foresight and wisdom, the fact that she is connected to the sky with um, atmosphere and clouds and things like that, again, kind of puts her in the realm of dabbling in some of the stuff that we would attribute to Mercury or Hermes, um, but also kind of puts her in a realm like Ceridwen and other goddesses that are more about uh, magical practices than they are like being a mother goddess or a crone or what have you. So pretty cool stuff. Okay. From our Greek friends and ancestors, we have the festival of Bendidia. Uh, this is a festival of the Thracian goddess Bendis. Uh, their shrine to her was built on the hill um, Munikia, which we talked about earlier in the month, um, near to the temple of Artemis, with whom she is identified. She is often pictured as a huntress, which is another characteristic that she has with Artemis. Uh, and side note, interesting to have this goddess connected with Artemis, the hunter, Artemis, of course, being the archer, naturally connected to the sign of Sagittarius, which is the sign opposing Gemini. I might be reading too far into that, but that stands out for me. Moving on. Plato reported a bit about the first festival to Bendis at the beginning of the Republic. From his account, we learn that native Athenians took part and provided a procession as fine as that of the Thracians, and that a torch race was held and on horseback, which was a novelty, horses connected to Gemini, uh, and an all-night festival. From other sources, it's known that the Athenian procession began at the Pritanium in the morning and wound down to the sanctuary in the Piraeus, while the Thracian procession was entirely within the Piraeus. Excuse me. The six-mile procession of the Athenians was so unusual that a decree called for basins, water, and sponges to bathe after it, and garlands of flowers. Then, presumably, a festival meal was provided, and after an interval and probably a nap after this long walk, <laughs> the evening torch races and all-night festival was held. And of course, these types of festivals also make really a lot of sense at this time of year because the days are growing longer and longer and longer, and it's warmer out, you know, more and more all the way through the night. Um, 
what function Bendis served is not described anywhere. Uh, but of course, she is somehow potentially connected to Athena or similar to her. Herodotus wrote that Thracian women offered wheat to her and the Bendidia, um, excuse, excuse me, the Bendidia um, is held near the time of the Attic grain harvest. But Thrake bordered the route by which Athens imported grain from the Black Sea, another waterway, um, to feed its citizens, and there could be a connection there. Hard to say. Uh, and last but not least, on this day, see, I told you there's a lot of festivals for May 20th from our Japanese friends and ancestors. We have Okinaga Tarashihime. Jingu is a legendary Japanese empress now venerated as a kami. Um, she was a warrior queen with tremendous shamanic power, constantly in communication with the spirits. She was described as being divinely possessed. She may have been a consort for an emperor, but she never married, and her brother helped her rule. Again, Mercury Gemini symbolism, brothers and sisters, sibling relationships at the heart of Gemini symbolism. Um, but again, shamanic power, spirit communication, very much within the realm of our hermetic slash Hermes, right? That's where that word comes from. Our hermetic symbolism that is coming forward more and more so at this time of year. All right, let's move on to May 21st. May 21st is a Saturday and our waning moon is still hanging out in Aquarius. So we are still seeking hope amongst our friends and our communities. Go do it. Go find it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> briefly, the astrology of this day, Mercury retrograde conjunct the sun in Gemini at zero degrees. So again, really emphasizing all of that stuff that we just talked about with all of that Gemini energy, but also really emphasizing the RE of our retrogrades. In other words, can we re any of this, reorganize, renegotiate, reconsider, reevaluate, reconnect, all of that stuff? Um, you know, this is a great day for it. It could feel like a day where all of that work presents itself and we're like, oh, I don't know what to do about this. Because um, when Mercury is conjunct the sun, it can kind of lose itself in the intensity of the sun. The sun can sometimes be like, hey, shut up, I'm in charge. And and uh, Mercury is like, oh, okay. Uh. And so it might be that it's just sort of a day of like, oh, and then a day or two later, some stuff starts to make itself clear and obvious. It might be a day where things make themselves clear and obvious, but not in a way that you can act on them, just in a way that you can come into conscious realization of it. Do some journaling on this day. See what comes up for you. I think that could be really, really potent, especially at zero degree of Gemini. We are just stepping into this sign with the sun and the planetary ruler of the sign. Really cool day. Okay, let's move on to the holy days of May 21st. We have a lot for this day too. <laughs> and go figure, right? We have all of these holy days jammed up at the time when the sun is moving into uh, the new sign. It makes sense. Okay, from our Slavic friends and ancestors, 
from May 21st to May 27th, we have Green Week. This is uh, similar but not the same to Grudy Rosno. I have a feeling that these festivals probably overlay each other and are versions of each other where one stresses one part of it and one stresses another part. And I wonder if there aren't some places in Eastern Europe where you see all of these things all mixed together. Okay. Green Week, also called Semik. Uh, Green Week, or the Green Holidays, is a traditional Slavic seasonal festival celebrated in late May and sometimes up to early June. And my guess is that it probably has something to do with uh, lunar phases and maybe solar movements and maybe even fixed star risings. Uh, it is closely linked with the cult of the dead and spring agricultural rites starting to sound fairly familiar, isn't it? <laughs> Seems like we've said that several times this week and the last few weeks. In Eastern Europe villages, uh, the seven weeks following Easter have historically been a time of festivity. Green Week takes place during the seventh week leading up to the Pentecost and includes the seventh Thursday after Easter called Semik. On Semik, the Thursday of the Green Week, Funeral rites are held for the unclean dead, a.k.a. those who have died before their time. Um, birch trees are particularly significant because they are considered hosts for the souls of the deceased. Sometimes people honor a particular tree by decorating it or uh, carrying it around. Other times, folks cut birch branches and hang them in their homes. The birch is also seen as a symbol of vegetative power, and it might be honored with people's hope that it will bring its vitality to the coming season's crops. I could also, side just me, I also uh, could see that as a symbol of uh, regenerative resurrection type symbolism. Uh, potentially, I might be wrong, just saying. Uh, springtime and fertility rituals are also important to the holiday. Girls bring offerings of fried eggs, a symbol of rebirth. We see lots of egg symbolism all throughout spring. And beer to birches and speak charms about improving the harvest when weaving garlands for the trees. Uh, another tradition is for girls to pledge vows of friendship before the birch tree. Some believe this is a remnant of ritual sexual activity associated with the cult of spring. Would certainly make sense with everything else that we've seen. Like Kostroma during Maslanitsa, which we will talk about later in the year, a chosen birch tree is destroyed at the end of the festivities and it is usually drowned. How interesting is that? We know that bogs and wet earth and lakes are a huge sacred symbol and place for Eastern European Slavs and, and whatnot. So uh, that's, that's pretty potent, right? Um, it is usually drowned in order to provide the needed rainfall for the sprouting crops. Now, with all of this water stuff, we bring in Rusalka. The Rusalka are nature spirits like Navki or Mavki, associated with Green Week traditions. They, they derive their name from Rusali, another name for the holiday. So like in Romania, I believe uh, this holiday is called Rusali. Uh, some believe they were associated with deceased family members, 
or perhaps only the unclean dead. And I think unclean is an interesting word to use here. This is just what I found in my research. Um, in fact, I, I think that this is from Wikipedia. Um, and so unclean, I think maybe could be a word that could be exchanged with unsettled or, or unresting, like for whatever reason, this person is not at peace with their death. They're still wandering around on earth trying to get something done or trying to settle some energy or something. Sometimes an honored birch tree would be named for a Rusalka as part of Green Week. Some of the rites of Green Week, like making offerings of eggs and garlands, were thought to placate the Rusalki so that they would stay away from the village's agricultural fields for the season and not bring harm. The Rusalki are also associated with water and fertility, and so they might be invoked during Green Week in an attempt to bring their moisture and their vigor to the fields. During Green Week, Rusalki are believed to be more active, making them a greater threat to villagers if they are perceived as being threatening. Um, one precaution villagers take during this week is to avoid swimming because Rusalki are thought to live in the water and could drown passerbys. So interesting stuff. Okay, moving on to our friends and ancestors in Bulgaria and Greece. <laughs> From May 21st to the 23rd, we have a festival called Anastanaria or Nestinastarvo. Uh, in Bulgarian and Greek villages, people still perform an old fire walking festival ritual. This festival ritual, that's what my notes say. Okay. Uh, this originally pagan tradition is now associated with the feast day of St. Constantine and St. Helen. It is called the Nestinavarsto in Bulgaria and the Anastanaria in Greece. According to most ethnographers, the roots of the tradition can be traced all the way back to the ancient practices of the cults of Dionysus after the Christianization of Thrace a historical region of Southeast Europe, now split between Turkey, Greece, and Bulgaria. It was integrated into the new religion and became associated with St. Constantine and St. Helen, which gives us a lot more insight on why St. Helen might have a festival day at this time of year. In Bulgaria, the firewalking festival is called the Nesta Navarsto. It is followed in several villages in the Stranza Mountains, the Feast of St. Constantine and St. Helen, which lasts for three days between May 21st and 23rd, is celebrated by all villagers, but only a few people perform the ritual. They are called the Nestinari. Traditionally, the title is hereditary, and the head Nestinar is succeeded by their child. Whoa. Only when they are too ill or old to continue the dancing on smoldering embers. I love that. Considering how far back this festival might go, that's intense. On the day of the feast, the villagers participate in a solemn procession to the Stolnina, a small chapel with icons of several saints, which is usually located in the head Nestar's house. In the chapel the priest thurifies the icons aka like fumigates them and blesses the nestinari after that the people head to a holy spring to bathe and then they eat a symbolic offering of mutton aka ram that would be the you know the symbol of uh the beginning of spring after sunset the villagers dance around a large fire until it dies 
kind of sounds like Beltane. When only embers remain, the famous ritual begins. The Nestinari dance barefoot on smoldering embers to the beat of the drum, bringing the festive night to its climax. It is thought that at least some of the dancers fall into a kind of religious trance and don't feel pain caused by the embers. A similar ritual is performed in several villages in northern Greece, where it is known as the Anastaria. Before the wor First World War, these villages were part of Bulgaria, etc., etc. So, also on this day, <laughs> wow, right? Like, isn't that freaking cool? Ah, that I love it. I love it. I was very excited when I found this. Okay. Also on this day, we have St. Helena's Day, St. Helen, uh, from our UK slash uh Catholic friends and ancestors. Now, what is the big deal with her? She reputedly discovered Christ's cross, which means that she is connected to holy wood. Now, that in and of itself is sort of an interesting thing when we have her connected to a fire walking festival, walking over coals of burning wood. Um, but also as we step into Gemini season and we begin the approach of uh, summer solstice, we are going to see a lot more emphasis around St. John the Baptist. And for me, the relationship between St. John the Baptist and Christ is the same relationship as the Holly King and the Oak King. So here, remotely, we may have a connection to that symbolism through her finding this wood. Again, maybe I'm stretching stuff. I'll admit it. I'll take it. That's fine. Uh, also on this day from our pagan friends and ancestors, but mostly our pagan, uh, modern pagan wheel of the year calendars, we have the day of the bright and dark mothers. Again, this is a hearkening to that shifting thing that's happening in spring as we move out of winter and into summer. Again, also acknowledging the ice deities and the frost and death deities that are kind of afoot at this time of year, even as we are in the midst of all of this bright, lively, um, sexy energy that's happening around us as well. From our Roman friends and ancestors, we have the Aganalia for Vediovis, excuse me. Uh, this was an obscure, archaic religious observance celebrated in ancient Rome several times a year for various deities. That's the Aganalia. Uh, I love it because the Aganalias were so old that often Romans didn't know what they were doing or why they were doing it. They just knew they had to do it. And Vediovis is another name for Jupiter. So this is yet another holiday dedicated to Jupiter. There's like hundreds throughout the year because Jupiter. Okay. Uh, last but not least on this day, we have the day of Tefnut from our Egyptian friends and ancestors. This may or may not be authentically a day that was celebrated for this goddess back in the day. This might be a modern adaptation. So I'll just say that, but it's good and timely because Tefnut is a deity of moisture, moist air, dew, and rain in ancient Egyptian religion. Well, isn't that a, a wild coincidence? We were just talking about Rusalka and these other, uh, you know, the Green Week festivals for our Slavic friends and ancestors, where these deities and these energies or entities connected to rain, moisture, uh, and wet areas were being worshipped. And then if we, you know, roll back through the week, we've also got the Friga Blot connected to clouds, certainly a source of rain and moisture and whatnot. So very cool connections there. 
Tefnut is the sister and consort of the air god Shu and the mother of Geb and Nut. The name Tefnut has no certain etymology, but it might be an automatopoeia of the sound of spitting, as Autumn spits her out in some versions of the creation myth. Additionally, her name was written as a mouth spitting in later texts. Tefnut was connected with other leonine goddesses as the Eye of Ra. As a lioness, she could display a wrathful aspect and is said to have escaped to Nubia in a rage, jealous of her grandchildren's higher worship. Only after she received the title Honorable from Thoth did she return. Thoth, of course, is connected deeply to Hermes and Mercury. In the earliest pyramid texts, she is said to produce pure waters from her vagina, as many of us do. Uh, we love, right? Here is this goddess right in the midst of all of this around moisture, fertility, rain, all of that stuff. Powerful shit this week, man. Pretty cool and pretty spicy. Let's get into the wrap up, shall we? All right, heathens, here is our weekly roundup. Uh, our lunar phases are moving from Scorpio to Aquarius. So we are still rolling through those fixed signs, fixing us and holding it down here in the center of spring and the center of Beltane. Um, for the Astro Roundup, Sunday the 15th kicks off with a spicy, super full, razzle-dazzle, strawberry-flavored, no, it's not strawberry, that's next time, super full, razzle-dazzle, bloody flower, extra bonus, full moon, your mom. Uh, <laughs> 9, 14 p.m., 25 degrees of Scorpio. Also on that same day, we have Venus conjunct Chiron in Aries at 14 degrees. We have the Sun in Taurus square Saturn in Aquarius at 24 degrees. We have the Sun in Taurus sextiling Neptune in Pisces at 24 degrees. On the 16th, the Moon moves into Sagittarius. On the 17th, we have Mars in Pisces conjunct Neptune at 25 degrees. On the 18th, the Moon moves into Capricorn. On the 19th, we have our disseminating moon in Capricorn at 2.41 a.m., 13 degrees of Capricorn. We also have the moon in Taurus trine Pluto retrograde in Capricorn at 28 degrees. We have uh, Mercury retrograde in Gemini, sextile Jupiter in Aries at 1 degree. On Friday the 20th, the moon moves into Aquarius and the sun moves into Gemini. And on Saturday the 21st, we have the sun in Gemini conjunct Mercury retrograde in Gemini at zero degrees. And as you can see from our holidays, we are plunging headlong into that Gemini slash Mercury slash Hermes hermetic energy and symbolism, the magic rituals, um, and the enlightenment stuff just immediately kicks off uh, stuff around commerce stuff around seafaring adventures. It's kicking big time. And think about that Yoruba festival for Simbi Blanc or the white serpent. And think about the caduceus wand that Hermes and Mercury carry. I'm sure 
It's just a coincidence. If you love this podcast, you can support this work through Patreon. Thank you to all my patrons. You can leave a review on your podcast service wherever you listen to this. If you're feeling especially heathenistic, you can give it a thumbs up or five stars, five being an extremely occult number. Um, thank you so much again and again and again to my patrons. Uh, if you want more support working with Beltane Energy or as we move into summer and summer solstice and Letha season, please join my Patreon folks at the $9 and higher, the Venus level and up, get access to the Patreon bag of holding with uh, workbooks and guides and digital spells and lots of extra stuff that does not make it out to uh, the public. Um, and if you're curious about all how all of this stuff might be hidden for you, schedule a reading with me. You can do that through my website. Uh, folks that are subbed at the highest levels with me on Patreon, $23 and up, get free readings throughout the year up to every month. Um, so if you're wanting monthly guidance from me, that is something that we can work as well. All right, my heathens, take care of yourselves with this exceptionally spicy eclipse and this moon. Uh, pray for peace. Um, pray for some cooling waters to pour over the spirit of humanity because it is just getting a little too hot out there. So much love to you all. Blessed be.